You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. We'll be in Psalm chapter 73 today, so you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 73. We'll read the text here in just a minute. So myopia is nearsightedness. It's a visual problem that keeps people from seeing objects at a distance. These folks can only see what's immediately before them. Without the aid of contacts or glasses, they cannot see where they are going or really on the distant horizon. And I'm in that group. I'm nearsighted and I wear contacts. So if I were to take my contacts right now out, I could see everything clearly right here, but I couldn't see anything in the back. And in fact, I couldn't see the time on that wall. And that would be bad, wouldn't it? (laughs) You want me to see the time. So my contacts are in today. But I have nearsightedness. But what's worse than a physical myopia is a spiritual myopia. These are people that have a problem that see only what is immediately under our spiritual nose, just right in front of us. That which is temporal, physical, and earthly, the here and now. These are believers that just see what's in front of them and lose perspective about what God's doing all around the world, into eternity, and those types of things. That would be spiritual myopia. And today, Asaph, who's the author of Psalm 73, suffered a severe bout with this myopic kind of faith. This psalm today addresses one of life's most difficult problems. How is it that the wicked so often prosper while the godly suffer so much. This is the dilemma of myopic faith. And this is probably a question that you might have, and many of us might have in this building today. Why does it seem that maybe unbelievers, people that might not follow Jesus, prosper as we're trying to live our lives in faith in Jesus, and there's great suffering? So he addresses that today in Psalm chapter 73. Let's pray together, and we'll read the text. Father, we ask as we read your word, you would open up our eyes and our hearts to receive it. And Lord, wherever we are, you know, and I pray we would respond appropriately to it. And Lord, most of all, we want to magnify Jesus in all things today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's read Psalm chapter 73, verse 1. The Bible says, God indeed is good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. Until, 
until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all that you do. So you can see that Asaph started in a place and then ended in the same place. But there was a struggle in between. And so the first thing I want us to consider today is this. Followers of God struggle when influenced by a worldly perspective. Followers of God can struggle when we are influenced by a worldly perspective. And you can see that in verses 1 through 15. It says it all the way down there. And what makes this interesting is that Asaph, he was a Levite who served as one of the chief musicians in the sanctuary. King David appointed him as a worship leader. So here you have the worship leader who are having these thoughts and thinking these types of things and wrestling with some of the things he's seeing from an earthly perspective. And he needed the perspective of God to enter his life. In fact, 12 of the Psalms are attributed to Asaph. So he knew and sang these truths about God week in and week out. He knew it. He sang it. He led folks in worship. But just like Asaph and other spiritual leaders, a person's position doesn't guarantee that you won't struggle. That you don't think about some things whenever you see the temporal and then you start seeing, God, how does this fit in with what you're doing? Because our perspectives can change and they're different. And we need to be in line with the word of God and see, God, how do I need to see life? Because what happens is in our earthly flesh, we start getting distracted from that and seeing what culture tells us and how we're supposed to see how God thinks about us, about how we're being treated and all these types of things. And Asaph has that struggle. So you start off with his declaration of truth in verse 1. Did you notice he started off in verse 1, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. So he starts off with his declaration. He begins this psalm with a wonderful convictional statement that is true about the goodness of God. God is good. It's absolutely true. He sang about it many times. Asaph affirmed the benevolence of God who is constantly good to his people, who trusted him. And to those, what the word says, who are pure in heart. Asaph knew and believed passages like Psalm 25, 8, which says, The Lord is good and upright, therefore he shows sinners the way. He knows this. He also knows Psalm 34, 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So Asaph correctly declared foundational truth that God is good. It's absolutely correct to the pure in heart. For those people that are committed to him, he is good all the time. And most of us sitting in the sanctuary here today would affirm the same truth. We sing about it. I sing about it. We affirm that truth. And we should because it's true. But as we see next, Asaph began to doubt. Asaph's doubt 
regarding the declaration of the truth he just said. So he declared something, but there was doubt that crept in his life. Look at verse 2. This is an honest confession by Asaph. He says, But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. You see that? Again, this is a worship leader, and he's declaring the truth of God. But then all of a sudden, he brings up the struggle that he's having personally about how that's working out in the life he's seeing around him. And we appreciate his honesty as we read. That's one of the things about reading Psalm. When you read it, you see the heart and the honesty of things coming out in people's lives. And he's declaring it. Asaph confessed that he was close to abandoning his confidence in the goodness of God. He was close. He was questioning the goodness of God for a moment here. Notice that he says, but as for me. He said it four times in this psalm. But as for me. So he, he says the truth, but he says personally, man, I'm struggling. As for me right now, I'm not seeing it like I used to see it. Something's changed. He said, my feet almost slipped in that verse, meaning that he nearly turned aside from right thinking, from the right way. Now, he was a follower of God. That never changed. But he was starting to think the way of the unbeliever. It was a tempting way to think. His honest confession reveals that he almost lost his foothold and could have suffered a monumental fall in his spiritual life. Not ultimately, but there were just things that he was questioning. So the question is, what caused this? Why would he go there? What caused him to question the goodness of God a little bit at this time in his life? Well, you saw it in the the verse. He allowed his focus to shift from the goodness of God to the prosperity of the wicked. That's where it was. He was focused on the goodness of God, and, and through time, he started looking at the seeming prosperity of the wicked, and that changed it all. His eyes got off the wrong spot. That caused him to doubt God and God's goodness to him. It's a sad state that he was in and sometimes we can be in, but it was a reality. And so there he was, questioning God's goodness to his life personally. He thought, why should people who disagree with God seem to be the ones who experience more good in their lives than than the righteous who are trying to live out what God tells us in the Word? Why is this? He was wrestling with how God seemed to be working in the world around him. And that's the key word, seems. Because listen to this for a second. Asaph noticed and focused on the prosperity of the wicked. Look at verse 4. He mentions the wicked seem to have a carefree life and they die in peace. He mentions that in verse 4. In verse 5, the wicked seem to have all the physical resources that they need from his perspective. Verse 12, they seem to enjoy prosperity all the time. Verse 5, the wicked seem to be free from trouble, no affliction. So like us, it's like seeing folks maybe who, who might carry out business dishonestly, but their business is profiting and they're, and, they're, and they're growing. It might be like seeing some people involved in immoral industry, but it seems their life is at peace. It just doesn't look right, but it's happening. And so if you grew up in the Johnson household... You had to watch Little House on the Prairie, okay? Why do you ask that? Because Mama watched Little House on the Prairie, and I think she's seen every single one of them, and therefore I probably have seen every single one of them when I was younger. But there was a particular episode. It was called Fool's Gold episode. So Laura Ingalls walks down to this river, and they're playing with her friend, go around, they're having a good time. They look in there, and they see some, some sparkling stuff going on. Well, they get in there and start sifting through it, and they're like, we found gold, 
and they started freaking out. And then they went and, and they said, don't tell anybody. Let's just get all this gold and let's go take it to the bank. So day after day, they would run over there to the spot, sift it, and they would get these bags of gold. Well, it came the time to cash in. So they get this cart, and they're wheeling it into town, you know, these bags of gold. They get into the bank, and they're like, hey, we have all this gold here. Tell us how much it's worth. Well, he looks at it, filters it through. He's like, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we call this fool's gold. And they're like, what's fool's gold? Well, it looks like real gold, but it's not. And you can imagine, you see the heartbreak in there. I'm like, what? So they got a little bit out of it, but that, all that work and all that time, it seemed like it was real gold, but it really wasn't. And it kind of reminds me of that when I think of these passages like this. We think of temporary wealth. If God gives us that, praise the Lord and use it for his glory. But when we look at that, those kind of things, you know, we can't focus on that and say that is really where it's at. That determines if God really loves me or not. That's where really life is at. It's in all of our stuff. Because it's like fool's gold, as we'll see later. It goes away. It goes away. It's only here for a temporary time, and we can enjoy it. It's a gift of God but it goes away. Well, Asaph begins to envy the wicked. He notices it, and then it turns into envy. You notice in verse 3, for I envied the arrogant. He started envying the arrogant and the wicked. See, the problem was that he compared their wealth, their health, their prosperity with his lack of prosperity and was resentful that God would allow such a thing to happen. Boyce writes this, that is where our problem lies too, isn't it? It isn't really the intellectual problems that bother us, though we may express our unhappiness that way. It is that God is not treating us the same way we think he, we should be treated, that other people seem to be doing better than what we are, that we have to struggle for a living while others coast along without obvious trouble. Our problem is envy, and envy is criticizing God. It is sin. And that's what Boyce says. And he's exactly right. It's like for us in the Christian life, we forget that there should be a theology of suffering in the Bible. We forget. None of us, we're not asking for it because it's, it, it will be present in some form of our lives if you follow Christ. It's, it's there. But it's like we forget that and we think that, oh, I forgot about the sufferings of Jesus. I forget about those things as he's living out the will of God. But if I live out the will of God, everything should be right in my life. Everything should go smoothly. I should be rewarded. Well, we got to wait and remember that not, might not necessarily happen here on this earth. Maybe. But we've got to remember there's, there's an earth, there's a heavenly place to come. And there's an eternity that we have to look at. And so this is something that Asaph was just struggling with. It really bothered him to the point of he became bitter. He started to become bitter. A worship leader, Right? And Israel becoming bitter because verse 8 tells us that. He, he talks about how the wicked just flaunt their arrogance. They're not even silent about it. They're really open about their wickedness. In verse 8, he says, they mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. So they're out there doing it on purpose and loudly. Verse 9 tells us, they set their mouths against heaven. So this is open rebellion that the wicked are going after. He says, look at that and then look at this and why? He started to become bitter, and that affected his worship. I guarantee you that. And God, in his grace, deals with that here in a minute. Well, this worldly perspective focus that Asaph had at this time in his life, he began to doubt the goodness of God. And in Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, I like what he says here. Warren Wiersbe says, there's a distinction between doubt 
and unbelief. There's a big distinction between doubt and unbelief. He says there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt comes from a struggling mind. There's a struggle. Doubt. Where unbelief comes from a stubborn will that refuses to surrender to God. That's unbelief. The doubt is the struggle that people can have as we live in this life, as believers as we can have. The unbelieving person will not believe while the doubting person struggles to believe but can't. So there's a struggle and there's a will not. There's a difference between doubting and total unbelief in God. Um, and there's room there to, to struggle and to talk to God about these things. So doubt didn't just stop there. It led to regret. And here's what he said in verse 13. Did you notice that? He started beginning to regret how he was living his, a righteous life. Verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? You can see what he's saying. He's starting to regret. Well, I've been living the right way. Why am I doing this anymore? Why am I doing this? Because of this and this. And so you see it led to regret. And it started, he started wanting to change the way he was living his life for God. That's where it went to. See, the way the world uh, lives is a different way than we're called to live. And sometimes we wonder, is it really worth it to live in a radical obedience to Christ and to submit to Scripture? Because it's different. <laughs> and we're gonna, it's going to be noticeable. And there can be regret sometimes in our lives saying, look at this, God, I'm obeying you and look what's happened. And that's kind of the place he's in. But like I keep saying, God gets him in a good spot here in a minute. But this is the struggle. So the way the world lives is very different. In fact, it's like a person living with this worldly perspective that Asaph has. He begins to question if they should give my time and resources to God's kingdom. Is it worth it to give my time to do this? Is it worth it to give my finances to do this for God? Is it worth it? Should I pursue sexual purity right now? Is it worth it? Because look at all this and look at this in the Bible. And is it worth those things? Is it worth it to continue being ethical in our business practices? Is it worth it if I can cut a corner or do some stuff and make a little bit more money? This is the type of thinking that goes into the worldly perspective that, that Asaph is kind of buying into here and sometimes we struggle with in all of our lives. But based on the evidence, he could see Asaph came to the wrong conclusion here. He was kind of saying, I feel like I'm wasting my time a little bit here. And my energy, maintaining these clean hands and a pure heart. And, I, and I'm, I'm getting weary. I'm getting weary. You see, you kind of wonder if Asaph read Job or ever knew about the story of Job. Or he missed it. For we don't serve God because what we get out of God. God is worthy of worship and service regardless of what he allows into our lives. And that's tough. But that's the perspective of Job. God is worthy. We might not understand it, and, and sometimes I, I, I don't want that. But he understands, and his love is unquestioned because of the cross of Jesus. We look at these things, but at the same time, we can struggle with this. But he's worthy of our worship regardless. And Asaph was forgetting that for the moment because of some temporary pain. I mean, he was experiencing, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. He was experiencing some pain. He was going through something in his life, and he wanted people to know about it. And this got turned into a song. And so it was very real. It wasn't minimizing what he was struggling with. He was just saying it and, and finding out, where, where God, where you are in the struggle. See, Asaph's obedience was not a way of pleasing God, but rather a means of getting God to please him. That's the difference. And there's a big difference between those two things. Tim Keller writes, 
when we say to God, I'll serve you only if X happens, then it is X that we love and God is just an apparatus, a necessary apparatus for us to obtain that. That's kind of where that, turns, that thinking turns into. We're using God for our purposes and not for his glory. And it goes, it goes that direction. You see, Satan would want us, he wants us to have a view of life like, life like this, to encourage us to serve God for what we get out of it or what we see and what blessings we get on the outside. He wants us to look at life around us with a worldly perspective. That's, that's the way of the, of the world and the way of, of Satan. That's, what he wants, that's the perspective he offers and he wants us to have in that way. Well, as we look a little further, um, we can see here, that the good news is that by the grace of God, Asaph's perspective does change. Thank the Lord that, he's, that, that God does something here. And ours can change. Our perspective can change if, if we're struggling with, with this kind of, of thing here. And I'll say this. If you look at it, verse 15 and 16, it's interesting here how Asaph kept it to himself a little bit. He didn't want to broadcast that he was struggling too much. That's not to say we don't say that in small groups and stuff. We should. But he was a leader of Israel, and so he knew he was counting the cost. He says, the moment when I, if I do have a misstep and I do say it, it's going to cost a lot of people. I'm going to lead a lot of people astray. And so he was careful about how he was saying it and the struggle that he had silently for a while in verses 15 and 16. Well, the second major thing we'll look at today is this. Followers of God are satisfied when embracing a heavenly perspective. See, we can be satisfied when we embrace a heavenly perspective or perspective from the Lord. And you can see verses 16 through 28 tell us about this, all through there. So there was a major turning point, and I kind of emphasized it while I was reading the scripture. Did you notice it? Verse 17, he talked about he was hopeless, what? Until I entered God's sanctuary. There's the turning point. Until I entered God's sanctuary. Then things changed. See, Asaph was perplexed and hopeless until he entered the sanctuary of the Lord. See, the first step out of the sinkhole of resentment and envy is worship, is looking to God, is coming to worship with God's people. Because what he did was he came to the temple, noticed the sacrifices being given, innocent lambs being offered for sin. And that represents to us, we know in the New Testament, that's Jesus. We come in and we realize, yes, we've been through a lot of pain. And yes, there's things in our life that, that we can't change sometimes. And it, it's very difficult. We come here and we look at the, the cross right here on the front of this pulpit. And we see Jesus and the sacrifice, living a perfect life, dying a horrible death on the cross for our sin, for the sin of people that struggle, for the people of, uh, sin of all people, right? Put that on him. The wrath of God was turned on Christ. He died three days later, what? Resurrection, new life. Therefore, he offers forgiveness from sin, even the sin of resentment, bitterness, questioning, worldly perspectives. All that can be forgiven in Jesus. And so Asaph goes in and sees these sacrifices being offered, reminding that we need God. We're sinful people. There needs to be a substitute. And we see it, that, that's who Jesus is for us. So we walk in, we remember who Jesus is, what he's done for our life. We sing with God's people. We read the word, we fellowship. These are so important for Asaph to refocus, for God to use that to change his perspective, to change his life. And most of the time, what we want to do is, when I'm struggling, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I'm going to stay away, or I'm, I'm going to be gone for a while until I get fixed. And it is important to have a private time of worship. That, absolutely. You should be privately worshiping God. But this is talking about a public form of worship where you're coming in 
to God's sanctuary and his people and, and worshiping. And there's something about that and that God can use to transform our perspective as we see what he's done for us and we see who he is in our lives. That was the turning point for Asaph. It could be the turning point for us. See, a heavenly perspective is granted to those who humbly seek God's face. We need to fall on our face and look at God. Look at him. So what we do is look at the prosperity of the wicked. Look at these things, and then we're not looking to who God is and looking at him through the word. And I, I, We always need the reminders. That's when the Bible, a lot of times Paul says, remember, remember, remember. There's, there's remembering all over the place. Why? Because we're forgetful people. We, we lose our focus really easy. I mean, I, I do too. I'm kind of like this a lot. I mean, I've got to be, it happens, and I need to be reminded in my life who God is, what he's done, who I am in Christ. And that's what we, we need, and that's what will change us is the gospel and turn us around to have the right perspective. So this is why we must keep going to the sanctuary of God. We have to keep going to the sanctuary of God. Disciples knew that. They doubted. They questioned. Jesus told them multiple times about the resurrection. And they, they, it's like they didn't get it. And they didn't until he died. And they still were doubting. You know, the women came back and said, hey, he's gone. He's not here. They said, oh, we don't believe you. And they went running out to go look for themselves. They saw it. Changed everything. And then they walked with Jesus. And, and when you look in Luke chapter 24, I love this part here, how the disciples were changed by just being in the presence of Jesus and knowing who he is. Look what it says in Luke 24. I'm just going to read it, verse 50 through 53. This talks about the ascension of Jesus, the very end of his earthly ministry. The Bible says, Then Jesus led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. So get the picture. Jesus is ascending after this resurrection, going back to the right hand of the Father until he comes back one day. That's what he's doing right now. Verse 52 says, after worshiping him. You see what they were doing? They were worshiping Jesus because he was worthy. They were looking at him. They saw who he was and what he did and where he's going. And they were worshiping. And that changed everything. It says, after they worshiped him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. See that? Now, they were going into some persecution here. That's what they were going into. But they had great joy because they had seen they had, they had these things about Jesus. And it says this in verse 53. Listen. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Continually in the temple. Why? Well, people needed to see who Jesus was, but they were always there worshiping, talking to people, because they know they needed to be there continually. That's, that's us. We continually need to be in the sanctuary of the Lord with his people, worshiping Jesus, being focused on who he is and what he's done for our life, for any sinner that needs him. If you're here today and you are lost and you're not a believer in Christ, he says, come. He wants to give you this heavenly perspective about who he is. He wants you to, to come and be in his family. He has provided a way by his death and resurrection on the cross. But keeping our eyes on Jesus is what we're called to do. And that's what Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to do, isn't it? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So then we see that uh, there's four ways that Asaph was really affected here uh, once he went into the sanctuary. And once that happened, the first one is this. Asaph realizes the destiny of the wicked. We, we, you notice that in verse 17. We talked about it a couple of times already. Until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. See, that's what it took. He realized the destiny of the wicked. Because remember what tripped him up in the first place? was all the prosperity 
of the wicked. The temporal prosperity of the wicked, okay? Temporal blessings is what tripped him up. But he saw the destiny of the wicked, and, and he says they are in a slippery place. He didn't have the full perspective. He had half of it. Okay, so you guys know, most of you know I'm from Florida, and I love Disney World. So let's look at the screen real quick because I've got a little image. Okay, some of you might have seen this. Okay, so this place is called the Haunted Mansion. And so when you go into Disney, you go in there, I always like to do that, and it's not really scary, honestly. When you walk into the place, you go in and you're sitting there, and they're trying to make it scary, you know, dark lights, everything like this. Well, you walk into this room, and you're sitting there waiting, and then you see this picture, except you only see the first front, the top part of the picture. I couldn't divide it for you. So really, you can see a dividing line there. Um, so picture in halves. So the first half is all you see at that moment. You see a lady with the umbrella just looking all nice and everything. And then you see this guy that's dressed up in a suit. Looks like he's pretty successful. Then you see uh, a woman with a with little rose there. And then you see uh, these gentlemen. He looks kind of rough, but he's just sitting there in, in a suit. That's all you see. And you're like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Well, then in a minute, you know, the lights start flashing and you're looking. And then all of a sudden, the elevator moves. And it's the stretching room. That's what we call it. And so you look and the, and the picture goes like this. And then you begin to see the bottom part. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to be that lady holding the umbrella. Because there's an alligator running under her legs. And you look and you're like, don't really want to be like that guy in the suit because he's standing on top of dynamite. And you start looking and you're like, oh, the lady, there's a grave. And the, the gentleman there are in quicksand. And you're like, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. You know, the first time I ever did it, I was like, that's, that's weird. But it's kind of like this right here. We see the top half perspective in life. Every, things look good out there. And then all of a sudden, we go to the sanctuary, we're reminded of, it doesn't look so good when you go down a little bit. And that's kind of what reminded me of this a little bit. The Lord says, no, 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 this is not the way it's, it is. It, it, it seems this way, but the end is, it, it, it's, it's not a good end. We want believer, unbelievers to come into Christ. Absolutely. And we should tell, but, but a lot of times we fall into that trap. We don't see the full perspective like God has. That's why we need the Word. That's why we need to be reminded and see things that we, that we lose track of all the time. So the follower of God is in a solid, stable place. <laughs> and we are built up by the grace of God. We are actually kept secure. Our treasures are in heaven. They're in a secure place. As we live for Christ, they're going to be there for all eternity. They're not going to be lost whenever I'm gone from this place. The things that we do for Jesus will be there all time for him, for his glory. Always there. The fate of the wicked is very different than the destiny of the righteous. We forget about that. The wicked eternal judgment in hell, apart from the blessings of God. The righteous eternal life with God through Jesus. That's what we have, and that's who we are. So Asaph did get a new perspective on the problem when he considered not the circumstances around him, but what? The destiny before him. He started remembering where he's going, whose he is. That's what helped him here. It helped him to get through. Even if, We don't know if his circumstances changed or not. The Bible doesn't go there because we don't need to know that. All we know that he recognizes now that what matters the most in these circumstances is to know Jesus and to know God, to know these things and where he's going. That's the most important part the Bible wants us to tell us. And so that's all we know about it. So when we see it, there's a great difference between the two there. He realizes that the rich without God are on their way to eternal, being eternally poor. And it's a sad place. We, we don't want that. God does not want that. But that's reality because of what sin's done in our, in our world. And we do need to be people that tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So we see he realizes the destiny of the wicked. Then Asaph regrets his foolish thinking. Now he regrets in a good way, which really he's confessing his sin here. So if you look at verse 21 and 22, when I became embittered, you see it? And my innermost being was wounded. I mean, he's talking, this is deep wounds here. He says, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. You see this regret and this confession of sin. He's like, I, I can't believe I was thinking like this. This is not who I am. This is not what I'm called to do. So he's confessing this before God and before all the people that are singing this psalm today. Right? And they're reading it. It's confession. So when we start realizing who God is, of course we confess our sin in, in God. Lord, I, I, I've lost my perspective. I'm looking over here at this and, and questioning your goodness in my life, not understanding everything. God, forgive me for that. And that's a time of confession that he has for his sin. And the graciousness of God is there. The mercy of Jesus is there. See, the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus never one time struggled with a perspective. Never one time. Jesus wasn't carried away by those types of things. That's why we need him. <laughs> That's why he died for us. Is because he didn't have a problem with questioning the goodness of his father. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Thank God for that. Because of that, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so he regretted this thinking. And he, and he realized kind of like what Job realized as Job was questioning and thinking about the, goodness of, or the lack of goodness of God and wondering, well, God, what are you doing? What did God do in Job's life? He didn't give him a list of here's why I'm doing it. What did he tell him? Here's who I am. And it's like, oh, I got it. Yes, sir. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And that, but that was the thing he needed the most. It wasn't unloving. It put things in the right perspective. He didn't get all the answers. Now, God did restore the things he lost. That might happen. That might not happen. That's beside the point there. The point is that he was reminded and God showed him who, who he was. And therefore, we respond to who he is. That's worship. And in Job, and in our lives, that's our calling, to worship God for who he is and for what he's done. And so he regretted his foolish thinking. But then, notice, he rejoices in God's provisions. He starts thinking about the things that God's given him and who God really is. Verse 23, look at it. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. So he talks about God's presence here doesn't he? He looks at it and he quotes him and says, God, you are always with me. You hold my right hand. So he talks about the importance of understanding God's presence in his life in the middle of these things. He realized that God was with him all along, even in these times that it seemed hard. God didn't leave him. He was there and he recognizes that and he's, now he's rejoicing in it because he sees it. He's like, God, thank you for being with me now and all along. He sees God's presence as a blessing that the wicked do not have. They don't have the blessing of God like that in Christ. And so he sees that. In fact, look at verse 28. I love this statement. He talks about God's presence is my good. That's what he says. God's presence, that is my good. And so um, that's the perspective that we all should have. God, you are good and your presence is in my life. That's what I need the most. He also says that, God, you guided me, verse 24. You guided me with your counsel. You see, God promised us that he will give us counsel through his Holy Spirit in the New Testament. If we're followers of Jesus, he promises he will give us that. The Holy Spirit is described as our counselor in John 14, 16. He's our counselor. 
John 16.33 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. He's guiding us to who God is, the truth of God in the scriptures. And that's what he's doing to Asaph right now. And Asaph needed that. That's what he needed the most. He didn't need more things. He didn't need that because he still would have, you know, gone back to the other side probably again. Didn't, that wasn't the answer. Then he, he saw God's transforming power. Did you notice in verse 24? And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Isn't that interesting? You will take me up in glory. So he remembers his destiny now. I'm going to be with God forever. That's my destiny. And I can't read it because of time, but 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58 tells us about that. The moment Jesus comes back, we'll be transformed, made like him, incorruptible. We will not, will not be corruptible anymore because of things that Jesus has done for our life. And so that's, that's where we're going. We will be called up in glory one day. If Jesus comes back first, well, we take our last breath, one, one of the two. And then there is a change that happens. And he remembers, he's, he's calling for that right now. You will take me up in glory. Man, that's always a promise to hold on to and to see. And we need to see it in these times. And then he sees God's strength in verse 26. I love this. God is my portion forever. God is my portion forever. God is what I need is what he's saying. I don't need these things anymore. My perspective is right. God, you are my portion. And don't forget about that last word, forever. Remember, we're contrasting the temporal and the eternal. And he's mentioning here, God, you're my portion forever. It'll never run out. You'll always be there for me. And that's what he's rejoicing in right now. And he's confessing these things. And as God changes our lives, we confess similar things as him. Lastly tonight, today, letter D there, Asaph relays the work of God. He relays the works of God. Verse 28, here's how it ends. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Why? So I can tell about all you do. See that? So I can tell about your wonderful works. That's what it's all about. He goes from, from doubt to declaring the glory of God. And that's the grace of God got him there. And that's where he ends on it. So we're called, but yes, we're going to struggle with sometimes thinking like this. But as God brings us to the sanctuary, changes us, we confess him, sees him for who he is, we go out and tell others about who God really is. The last scripture I'll read is Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. It says this. Paul, Paul reminds us of this. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears, then you will appear with him in glory. There it is. There's the promise. There's the perspective. We've got to look at it, all of us. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling with circumstances around you, questioning God. God what, well, I don't understand. I'm living this way, but I'm, this is coming into my life. Maybe you're there and questioning God's goodness today and doubting. Well, I pray that today you see God for who he is and you confess that to him today and turn from that sin and, and rely on Jesus and, and, and a perspective change. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer. You're in the category that the Bible calls the wicked. And I pray you see your need for God. He is good. He's offered salvation through Jesus. And we pray you come to him and, and, and experience the same goodness of God in Christ. And maybe you are here in a good place. Maybe you're here and you're trusting God. We'll praise him for that. And pray that we, you would continue to focus on him 
in your life. And so we're about to have a time of invitation. And use this time to really think about, God, what are you doing in my life? You can stay in your seat and just think about it and pray, wrestle with it. You can come to the altar here. Um, If you want to know the Lord, stay behind. Afterwards, come forward. Doesn't matter. Tell one of your Sunday school leaders uh, if if you want to know who Jesus is and and want to know how to be saved. Um, If you need to be baptized, maybe you're saved and haven't been baptized, feel free to talk to us about that as well as becoming a member. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're, you want to pursue membership. Feel free to, to do that at any time this time, okay? So uh, we're going to have a prayer, and then we're going to go into a time of invitation. Let's pray to the Lord. God, I want to come to you um, this morning. Lord, we're just so grateful for who you are. Grateful that we have the Word of God, your perspective for our perspectives in life that often change. You don't change, we do. We pray we would be changing in a way that we would see you and be like you, Lord. So, God, we need your mercy and grace today in all of our lives. The days that we do question, may we not be afraid to take those to you, Lord, and let you work in our life and open your word and worship with your people and be reminded and be refreshed about who you are and where we're going and and what's truly important in life. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would see your glory and your greatness and what you want them to be, Lord, and how you can, can get them there through Jesus. And so we pray for, for those folks today as well, Lord. So we just ask for you to work in your way however you want, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.